Chapter 72 They make excuses, turn a blind eye to her excesses, and have abrogated their duties and responsibilities to see, including her beloved Silly, Una explained. Her methods have moved from the hidden chambers of torture into the light. She is just as likely to attack and torture someone that comes before the court as she is to hear them out, even members of her court, those whose house stretch back as far as hers, have held the reins of power for years past counting, has found themselves attacked, cherished children and loved ones have been banished from the glitz and glitter of court life and balls, as more and more of those with power refuse to risk her fickle nature. Only the Morigu seem to have a restraining influence on her actions, perhaps because they are co-equal in rank, or perhaps enough sanity remains for Queen Mab to realize she risks a dual noblesse if she releases her insanity upon the unsilly, Una finished. Una's words made sense, and I was impressed with her political acumen. She seemed more informed and versed in the minutia of court, as well as the interplay that existed between factions. She would make a good advisor for Blaney if she were able to marshal her anger over Irvin. Now, instead of a voice of reason, someone to calm the currents that the Blaney heard needed to navigate. She was churning the waters. Do you think my new rank as king would force her to be as wary of me? I asked. I want vengeance, but the priority, what is most important, is Irvin, Cedric, Euron, and Lorne's safety. King, how is that possible without a kingdom? Blaney asked confused at my rank and how it factored and compared to the Sealing Monarchs. I thought part of achieving rank king required you to have established a territory to rule. The rank was a system reward for completing quests. Quests that answered the question about system virus, as well as a few including the CERN dungeon resolution, I explained. Would Queen Mab treat my rank and house according to the treaty, or should I assume she is so lost to the madness that I have no recourse? If you are planning on heading to the capital and confronting the monarchs because of your rank, as much as it pains me to say this, knowing how my son has been treated, you should wait, Blaine advised. I would guess that you are planning on claiming land that the Sealy and Unsealy have set aside as neutral? Una asked. Yes, I acknowledged. The land is suitable, and I have a blessing from Danu that will expand the area I claim by 20%. I'm not sure if this means new land will arise from the sea, or if it just increases the area I can claim from whatever is available. But either way, I should be able to claim enough land to be comparable to the area claimed by the Sealy or Unsealy. 
it is probably a smarter first step. A king without a kingdom would be perceived as a threat, Una warned. No matter your intention, the silly monarchy would assume you plan to steal their throne. If you have your own, though, it should give them pause long enough to weigh the political cost of simply attacking you, especially if the unsealy are present when you attend court. That might work. A joint court session is planned in a six weeks' time. If you can claim your territory and get a start on building your kingdom before that joint session, it would mean you attend as an equal ruler. But then what? Blaine asked. Are you planning on invading or declaring war? Where will you get subjects and resources? I doubt either faction is going to sit still and allow you to grow your kingdom with citizens from their countries. They will attack and try to destroy you before you can even get started. There aren't any sea of either faction that has been repressed or denied advancement because of cronyism? I wondered. I was hoping there would be a system announcement that everyone, no matter their faction, as long as they are willing to swear fealty and have the ability and skills to form and hold a fife, will be granted land rights. Those C, considered lesser by the Seely and Unseely, will be given full council voice and vote. And any king or queen of these lesser C will be considered equal and allowed to form and grow a Sithern to establish both house and kingdom. I will allow them to return to Underhill, I promised. Minimum tithes, levies, and resources will be demanded as our right as sovereign. Instead, I hope to build and establish alliances and treaties based on respect and tolerance. How these sea kings and queens rule in their domain is not my concern. The only requirement I will hold is that free movement is guaranteed. People should be able to come and go as they choose. I explained. It will take time to create what I have envisioned, perhaps even millennium. There will be false steps, treachery and backstabbing, but I intend to treat others as their rank deserves. But make no mistake, I will return treachery and attacks in kind. For those that deal fairly with me and mine, I will offer opportunities to form alliances that will bear fruit a government council and court that represents all and that sparks interest and change in both Seely and Unseely nations. The most important benefit that I will possess after claiming and establishing my kingdom has to do with out-planet negotiations, I affirmed. The Seely and Unseely have blocked all negotiations, equal in power, they keep vetoing any reasonable plan, afraid of making concessions and appearing weak or at a disadvantage. The interplanetary governing body has recognized all C-ranked kings or queens, so those, not unseely or seely, could take part in negotiations. They could broker policy and act as tiebreakers while forcing an agreement between the two factions. 
but everyone is so conditioned and afraid of retribution from the monarchs that none of the lesser kings or queens will take the risk. As a ranked king, I have the right to attend these negotiations. I will be the tiebreaker, to finally allow our people freedom to expand beyond this planet, and to trade in off-world goods and services, I promised, my declaration having the gravitas of oath. An oath that wasn't recognized by system, nor binding, but words that were weighed with careful deliberation by both Blaney and Una. Duchess Wayne was also considering my words, and how my plans might affect her. We hadn't had a chance to discuss politics or plans. But she was a ranked duchess, a duchess that was my only sworn benefice. She would be privy to and deeded her fife. The first of my subjects to gain my consent and leave to rule. As a benefice, she would be barred from forming her own kingdom and creating other Scythern, no matter what rank she gained. She had traded that eventuality away when she had decided to tie herself so closely to me and my house. But I would not see her neglected or regret her decision. Her decision that had been made in the confusion and workings of the CERN quest, made before all facts were known. A decision made when she was desperate to gain retribution for her daughter. My plans were still in line with her goals. Getting access to off-world travel was more important to her than establishing a kingdom in some esoteric distant future. You have claimed me as brother of Kelpie, I reminded Blaine. So join me. Establish a Kelpie colony in those lands that I will rule. Become the first of the herd lords that will immigrate to escape the idiocy and ill-treatment you have endured. Come help me build a place that the goddess Belasama envisioned for her Kelpie. One where Kelpie are respected, where their talents as ambassador and negotiator will blossom and make a difference, I offered. The entire colony? Una asked in disbelief. Why not? I answered. Nothing is keeping you here other than stifling Seely oppression. Why not take a chance on something better? Something you build and control. How do you plan on taxing ties and resources from those that do join you and claim or are awarded land? And what about those that are already living and have established claims in those areas? What tax rate do you owe the Sealy currently? It has been 30% of all resources. Not profit or excess, but all resources. That was already a surrey and ruinous, but since you closed the dungeon, the silly have increased that rate to 50%. How are you able to survive? Badly. We have had to forego any profits we might have been entitled to from the selenium mine. It has allowed us to stay afloat. Barely. You own partial stake in the mine? Yes. Even the silly monarchs were unable to steal our stake and share we were entitled to when the herd discovered the mine. Not like they didn't try. 
but the attempt angered too many see, including some powerful silly that were afraid that allowing them to do so would set a precedent and they might be next. So, if you move the colony, if you were no longer indentured servants forced to serve, then the profits from the mine would be restored to you in full? If that's the case, it seems to make more sense to relocate the colony. You would get your pick of available land and have an income from the mine. Tapping on the MAI strapped to my wrist, I open two files, one the tax structure, and break down my council and I had mocked up. The other a holographic projection of the lands between the Sealy and Unsealy that had been left unclaimed. The hologram was created using my mind affinity, which made adjusting and manipulating it as simple as thought. Searching for Delar, the town my people were staying at, I found it about a thousand miles near the Sealy Unsealy, world capital of Cat Herbhale. Cedric, Basil, Lorne, and I had studied and researched the area before leaving Kel Domains. And although some of it was guesswork, we had managed to identify the vast expanse of area that was unclaimed. Rivers were abundant, with scattered lakes, some vast and deep, ensconced with both prairies and forests. A mountain ridge followed along the western coast. One of the more glaring deficiencies had to do with dungeon allocation. There may have been a plethora of dungeons that were waiting to be discovered, but for the moment, there were only three subpar dungeons that were being used, more for farming experience and levels than resources. The other major problem had to do with ley lines. The ley lines that were woven across the territory crisscrossed and connected systematically. The problem was that they were weak. Only one large convergence that originated along the mountain seemed to possess any strength and vitality. The vast majority of the continent was generating barely enough mana to satisfy the demands of native species and fauna. The usable land, unless we were willing to instigate an ecological catastrophe, was barely a fifth of the available area. Eventually, this lack of usable land would foster jealousies and problems as ranked looked to expand their influence and house by sending second and third children out to claim their properties. It was a problem that would require a solution. But for now, there were enough unclaimed areas that were suitable for Kelpie, for Blaine and Una to think seriously about migrating.